0: Another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz back after months and months away, social distancing, and we're back together, though we're still miles and miles away from each other. Biz, good to talk to you again. What's happening in your world in Eastern Iowa? Uh,
1: well, Trent,
0: not, not many good things,
1: unfortunately, happening in our world of Eastern Iowa or, or anywhere else, you know. We, uh, we took three months off, and, uh, and a pandemic hit, and now we took, what, another two months off, and the Iowa football program uh, has been changed uh, possibly forever. So uh, I think that just means, Trent, we probably need to get together more often. The, the, the less we get together, the worse the world is.
0: Very true. So I don't even remember us getting together. Did we really do a podcast in May? I don't even remember that.
1: We did, yeah. We got together in May. It was, uh, um, you know, I think at that point uh, we were just bored, basically. I don't, I don't know yeah. if we really got into anything too in depth, but yeah, I think it was early May. So we, we had, we had one in there, Trent, and uh, but, but since then, obviously, not much good to report from a uh, from an Iowa football or or Iowa sports perspective, because uh, you know, obviously. It's been a crazy, crazy couple months of football, and now we may not be having football altogether in general. But You and I will uh, we'll, we'll debate that vigorously coming up.
0: <laughs> we will try, certainly, with that. Well, let's talk about, obviously, what's dominated the headlines now for the better part of a month, as we sit here on the last day of June. And it started with uh, what felt like, at least initially, a pretty innocuous tweet from James Daniels and talking about, as Kirk Ferentz was coming out and talking about If they're going to kneel, they're going to uh, stand for the National Anthem. They were going to do it as a team. James Daniels said, uh, to paraphrase, that if that happens, it would be a big culture change for the University of Iowa football program. And from there, just a whirlwind of tweets and social media activity that came out from former Hawkeye players talking about their time, African-American players, and their time in Iowa City in the football program. And certainly was eye-opening for a lot of people, myself, involved.
1: Well, I don't know if you listened to the Washed Up Walk-On podcast that James Daniels joined them, but uh, after hearing him talk about it, it wasn't quite as as innocuous as, as you mentioned. It, it was planned. I mean, it sounds like there had been some discussions um, amongst a, a variety of different uh, former Hawkeyes, and they agreed that something needed to happen and, and kind of debated how to do it and... and you know, it sounds like it was planned that he was going to be kind of the uh, uh, the first one out the gate, and then and then go from there. And you know, it was you know, what I've tried really hard to do, Trent, over the last month is, is try to look at the big picture with each new allegation that, that has come in. And you know, those first thirty or so that came in, they were just you know, it, it was, became very, very obvious that Iowa has a culture problem and it's a problem that needs to be fixed and that it's something that we need to improve upon. Um, But over the last few weeks and especially with, with Akram Wadley's yesterday, you know, when when you look at the big picture of what he's trying to do, you know, I think it's only fair to, you know, maybe question his motives a little bit more Mm -hmm. than some of the people that, that, that came out initially. So, you know, it's been a crazy month, but, uh, you know, I think for the most part, and I rarely say this, I think the Iowa administration has handled it pretty well. I mean, you listen to Gary Barter, he he actually did a pretty good job. And I think Ferentz has said the right things and is at least attempting to do the right things. And I think the vast majority of people are in agreement that that Chris Doyle needed to go and and obviously has gone at this point. So, you know, they're doing the right things. But when you you see things like Akram Wadley yesterday – um, you know, I just it, – it, it's its hard to, to give him the benefit of the doubt when, you know, three weeks ago he sends a tweet out. And I'll just read it to you. It says, seeing too much negativity, I'm for change, I'm not into bashing nobody. That, that was three weeks ago. You know, clearly something happened in those three weeks where he uh, decided he was no longer going to follow that, and he came out with obviously the scorched earth uh, statement that he made yesterday. So – you know, I, I I, I think the vast majority of the people that came out, they really, truly want the program to learn and get better, and they love the University of Iowa and just want to see it become a better university and a better program in general. But, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I was kind of disappointed to see what Akram had to say yesterday because I, I think he may have different motives than some of the others.
0: And that's the part that is difficult. And I think we have both learned over this last month as white males. We – we a lot of times need to just shut up and listen, and and there's a part of that, and that's a factor that lies in here, but also where these allegations are coming from, and the two that maybe are the most damning come from two guys that have a checkered past, have things that we heard about during their playing times and issues that cropped up with the staff, Darrell johnson Koulianos, and now Akram Wadley, and and the number of times we heard Kirk Ferentz talk about that 190-pound number and getting Akram there and how often – wanted to see that to happen. There's no doubt that there were different circumstances for different players, but I think that goes through all universities, all athletic departments, all teams, at any level of sport. There are different rules, and things have to be done differently. And ultimately, it comes down to the individual and what they're doing and what they're putting in. But Akram, it is difficult. it's difficult because of what people have said. He was trying to get his brother on the University of Iowa football program. His mom was trying to get his brother into the Iowa football program. And if it was as bad as he said and as bad as he said ultimately at the end of the conversation he had with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN and and the statement that he put out where he said he wouldn't have anybody play for the University of Iowa, then why were you trying to get your brother on the team?
1: Well, I mean, you hear stories about that he also has screwed over tons of fans that, that paid money for his autograph or for, you know, know he's certainly had a bit of a checkered past, but you know i I think more than anything he kind of takes you know he takes away what what some of the other you know the, the 30 or 40 people at the beginning were trying to accomplish which is to to try to uh foster an open discussion and get people to listen and learn and realize that there is a problem with the program and you know I don't you know I think every rational Iowa fan I've spoke with agrees that things need to get better and that there needs to be changes in that you know the Iowa program, you know we all kind of had blinders to it and, and always kind of thought the Iowa way was you know kind of flawless and it was the reason that Iowa had accomplished what they had over the years and clearly that's not true but you know I think sometimes when you get, some of the comments like Wadley and, and DJK, is it takes away from, from the bigger picture of things. And and I'm not here to say whether what they're claiming is true or not, because clearly, you know, I have no idea and you have no idea. But uh, just the way he's gone about it and the, the complete 180 that he's done over the last three weeks just gives you some pause as to whether, you know, somebody – Somebody has communicated with him over the last three weeks that has made him change his tune and his general attitude towards the program.
0: So you said something that I think certainly bears repeating, and that is these two circumstances, these two players and what they have said and their allegations shouldn't take away from the dozens of other players and their experiences. Chris Doyle is no longer with the program. The mutual parting of ways, the settlement that came along with it, he is gone, but Still, there are so many people that were also named in here. Kirk Ferentz a couple of times, Brian Ferentz a whole bunch, including Akron Wadley yesterday. But Akron Wadley wasn't alone, and that's where you get into the sticky part of this conversation. If this guy's name was Brian Johnson, and he was a hothead, he was a guy that was banging on the door of a replay official and on there going loony at times on the sidelines, that would be one thing. But it's not Brian Johnson. It's Brian Ferentz. He ultimately has to talk back to the athletic director, who is his supervisor. But, Biz, we both know that is on paper only. He has to answer to his boss, which is the old man, and that's difficult. And when he ultimately came here, you remember, Biz, I was not a fan of the hire at the time. I just didn't like the nepotism angle to this, and I didn't think that he had accomplished enough at the NFL level as a coach to get the promotions that he has. Yet here we are, and now... A guy that's tough. A guy that has a lot of things that have been thrown his way. Your thoughts on Brian Ferentz and the continued allegations coming his direction?
1: Well, You and I have always kind of butted heads when it comes to Brian Ferentz. I've always been in his corner and felt that he was was a good hire and, and, you know, would potentially be a good head coach as well. And clearly I was wrong on that. Um, You know... And it goes back, I think, even before this, you know, I don't know if you listened, but he was on the podcast with uh, uh, the On Iowa podcast with Scott Dochtman and Mark Morehouse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was just kind of taken aback with his general tone in that podcast. Because the two things you know find out right away when you listen to him in those situations is, one, he really, really knows the X's and O's of football. I mean, it was really fun to listen to from a you know just a, a football nerd standpoint, because he really knows the game and knows what he's doing. But on the, on the other side, he just comes across as really arrogant and almost condescending at times. He made a lot of just kind of self-deprecating jokes and things that I thought just were right. unnecessary. And and so when his name got brought into this, it, it didn't surprise me at all. I, I think most people, really everybody, if you're being honest, realizes that, that Brian Ferris could probably be humbled a little bit. He's mm-hmm. – he's – you know, I, have, I have no idea what's going to happen to that. It certainly seems like he's going to keep his job. My guess, you know, from, you know, having seen enough of these uh, legal investigations, is my guess is he's going to be required to undergo some sensitivity training and will potentially even be suspended for, for a short period of time. But I, I think he's going to keep his job. I mean, that's just pure guess at this point, but that seems to be what happens. Um, but but he can certainly use a bit of humbling and, and maybe needs to uh, reevaluate how he acts around all people because I'm not sure there's been a lot of racist claims I would say against Brian Ferentz, but just you know just being an at claims and, and you know I, I hope if he does keep his job that, that he learns a little bit from this and and you know probably the same for a couple other assistants as well but uh, you know. <laughs> certainly he's going to have to prove himself over the next few years and prove that he has learned because, you know, there's enough. His needs have brought up enough in this, that he's certainly, uh, you know, put it this way. If He lost his job. I don't think I would uh, disagree with that at this point.
0: Yeah, and we will see what that plays out. You can uh, You can probably fill us in a little bit more. It was announced that there is going to be an independent investigation from a law firm down in Kansas City. As a lawyer, Biz, can you fill us in? What does this mean? And ultimately, are we going to get real definitive answers? Or are there going to be things that are heavily redacted when it comes out in the public light? If you can fill us in a little bit about what this is going to look like.
1: Well, I mean, this law firm, so I, I am not an employment lawyer. I don't do any employment law at all, but, but our office does, and I chatted with a few people in our office. And even before the investigation started, um, at least one of the people I talked to has brought up this law firm as, as what as the firm that they thought would be handling the investigation. I think they are kind of the uh, the marquee law firm when it comes to handling these types of things. So, you know, my guess and my hope is that we're going to get some answers here sometime in the month of July before you know before you got to start looking towards actual practices and preparation. So. I would think they are uh, fast tracking this to get it done by mid July at the very latest. And, you know, the thing that I think is interesting is there's some comments, and I think it was Mark Emmert wrote an article on it um, that Carol Reisner with the University of Iowa is kind of the liaison to Iowa that's going to get it, um, and that they're going to report everything to her, which likely means, Trent, that uh, what we get as the public is going to be a, a heavily redacted version of what the university of Iowa gets. So don't, don't be expecting that you're going to get a, a juicy tell all uh, report because I don't think we are. I think that report will get shared with the university of Iowa and then they will pick and choose what gets shared with the public. So I hope that the university of Iowa is as transparent as they can be in this situation because they badly need to be transparent, but uh, I'm not uh, I'm not overly confident that will
0: happen. All right, let's move away and uh, take off your lawyer hat. Go back and put your fan hat on here. And looking forward, whatever this turns out to be, and I, I agree with you on Brian Ferentz, I think there will be some kind of suspension, some kind of training that he's going to have to go through, and maybe some amends that he's going to make, uh, not just with past players, but also the current players inside that building. and We'll see if that's something that he's going to be able to do. But Iowa football. Chris Doyle no longer a part of it, a difference and a change inside of the locker room and inside of the football facilities. As a fan, are you concerned that the Iowa football that we have grown to love over the last two decades and and going back even further than that, that it is going to look different? And ultimately, they can't be as successful with the changes that need to happen. Does that ever linger? Because I think it does for me. I'm concerned about that side of it as a fan about, can they be as successful with the changes that maybe have to happen?
1: Oh, absolutely, Trent. And I think any fan that thinks that there's not going to be some uh, bumps in the road and some some uh, you know some effects on the field from this are, are fooling themselves. I mean, there's just been too much change and too much that's happened for there not to be some uh, negative effects on the field, both from a recruiting standpoint and just from a you know preparation standpoint. Because the fact of the matter, Trent, whatever you say about Chris Doyle. Um, his methods worked. I mean, Iowa has been kind of the uh, standard bearer when it comes to developmental football, and and he is uh, a big part of that. But having said that, Trent, I'm adamant, and I hope every good Iowa fan is adamant, that I don't really care at this point if there's a step back on the field. I can live with a small step back on the field if we get this right and we do it the right way and – You know, obviously, it's easy for me to say that now. If if we go 3-9, and I'll probably uh, forget that I said that. But, uh, you know, Trent, we've kind of glossed over the fact that Chris Doyle is gone. But, uh, you know, uh, put it bluntly, Trent, screw Chris Doyle. I mean, his statement was appalling. And, you know, I think he has gotten almost a free pass for that statement. I I think people have – I'm amazed – that there haven't been more articles out there talking about the hypocrisy of, of that statement. I mean, he is a complete and total hypocrite. He is a guy that for two decades preached team, 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 and culture, 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 and, and the, you know, the Iowa way, and the moment the tables were turned on him and he was asked to, to remain silent or asked to... To take one for the team, I guess, he showed his two colors instantly. I mean, the last paragraph of that statement is is just appalling. I mean, he comes out, fired, and says, I've been asked to remain silent, but that's impossible for me to do. Um, And and then he goes on later on to say, I do not make racist comments. I don't tolerate people who do. At no time have I ever crossed the line of unethical behavior or bias based on race. That's just an insane statement. Uh, I don't know a single person that can make that statement. I'm confident that at some point I've crossed the line of unethical behavior or bias based on race. We all do it. If you don't believe that you have at least some bias based on race, then you're fooling yourself. I mean, every single person has some bias based on race, and for him to come out with that statement is just appalling. I just, for a guy that spent his entire career preaching team he decided to throw the team under the bus the first chance he got. So uh, occasionally I've seen people talking about they feel bad for Chris Doyle. Uh, those people are, are misguided. Uh, to me, Chris Doyle lost the benefit of the doubt and and sealed his own fate the moment he decided to write that last paragraph.
0: And Because I, I think there was a path where ultimately maybe he could have come back. I, I think it would have been incredibly difficult, but that path was completely taken away with that statement and to come out and to say something like that, I mean, the the opening couple of paragraphs, a couple of sentences were as you'd anticipate any one of these kind of uh, statements that are put out that it was going to be and then do to, uh, to back it up with that. It, it was it was mind boggling. It really was to to say something like that. You're right. I don't think anybody in any walk of light of any race can say something like that it just it's impossible to do that and to say it in that light with all these allegations that were thrown out there it was head scratching but but here we are and Raymond Braithwaite will take over he'll be the new strength and conditioning coach coach in an interim role there's going to be other candidates out there it's uh it's a mess and is it over is this going to is it going to get worse is it going to get better and they're being a few statements of support of Kirk Ferentz that have been out there, but maybe not the volume that I anticipated at that point. That's something that still at least is lingering in my mind.
1: Yeah, I kind of thought after the Akram statement, I thought a few people might kind of uh, speak up and, and not necessarily say that Akram is wrong, but at least try to gear the discussion back towards, you know, trying to, to learn and fix things. And that hasn't happened yet. But right. No, I think, unfortunately, to answer your question, I don't think it is over. I think whatever this group that the Akram is working with, I think he's probably got other Iowa players in his back pocket as well. And my guess is he's probably going to have other statements that are going to come out, and he's probably doing it in a, you know, an orchestrated fashion where – you know, it certainly seems like they are gearing themselves up to file a lawsuit against the University of Iowa at some point. And you know that, you know, as a lawyer, that was certainly my first thought when I saw Ackham's statement yesterday. Is that sometime in the last three weeks, somebody has has gotten in his ear and told him that he has a uh, a valid claim and lawsuit against the University of Iowa, and it's coming at some
0: point. What would that lawsuit entail? I mean, obviously not the specifics or anything like that, but uh, help me out here. I'm just a simpleton. I need a little bit of help on that side.
1: Well, I mean, when he starts talking about, you know, how it affected his, you know, mental um, Mm -hmm. capacity and he started drinking more and he he started doing things he wasn't doing in the past, I mean, I think you're just going to be, you know, there's an emotional distress element to that 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 they're going to really be pushing. Um, And, you know, my guess is he's going to argue that without that emotional distress, you'd have been an NFL football player. So they're going to be asking for, you know, astronomical amounts of damages. So, and again, this is purely speculation. Sure. I, mean, I want to be careful not to go too deep into this because, you know, is, but, you know, Chris Doyle's statement, that last paragraph, certainly seemed like it was gearing up for legal action or, you know, the settlement that they ended up reaching. I mean, he, Clearly he saw the writing on the wall. He wasn't going to keep his job, and he was going to go out, you know, guns blazing, rather than, than try to, uh, you know, do the honorable thing and 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 not make that statement. And the same thing just strikes me with Acum. It, it seems like that was a statement that was geared towards legal action of some sort down the road.
0: So not only do we have all this happening, but. There's also a a, nation, a global pandemic that is also going on in the world. We talked about it back in the beginning of May. Here we are still and uh, going through this. The university each Monday has been releasing the number of cases inside the athletic department. We don't have a breakdown in terms of football players, basketball players, wrestlers, anything like that or even if it's you know, coaches, staff members. We're just we're getting a number that is coming there. And this is just voluntary workouts. Now everybody was there for the first meeting as they came back at the beginning of the month, but these are voluntary workouts. We're going to have actual workouts after that, and we still don't know as spikes uh, it continues to spike across the country. I think we're going to be seeing that happen again here in the Midwest. the The great unknown will football return. Well,
1: and based, you know, you and I, as you know, you and I have shared some texts on this with our friends and. uh, This is going to be our version of first take, Trent. Rarely do you and I totally disagree on topics. Usually I think we both at least kind of uh, meet in the middle a little bit. But but this is our first take situation where I think my opinion on this and your opinion just uh, are completely at odds. So you know my answer. Is there going to be football in the the fall? I I don't think there is. I just don't think there's going to be college football. And uh, that's coming from somebody that, that. Badly, badly, badly wants there to be college football. But I just – it blows my mind that the NCAA has made no effort to create a uniform plan for all of its its members. There's just no uniformity out there at all. And as we've seen, you know, with our country in general, when you don't have a uniform plan in place, you know, this is what happens. You get – You know, there's going to be setbacks and there's going to be problems and you don't know what to do with it when there are problems because there's nothing out there to say, okay, when this happens, here's what we do. So, you know, I just – the NFL and Major League Baseball has come out with 140-page plans on, on how to handle these situations and what to do if there are positive tests. And, you know, I think because of those plans, I think it's much more likely that we're going to see those sports take place Because they have a plan in place than we are college football. So, and again, this is coming from someone who really hopes there is. But I, based on what we've seen so far, I'm not optimistic.
0: Well, if you do any walk of life, I think most everybody knows. Ultimately, any question that you pose, anything that you ask, it comes down to one simple response, and that is money. And money for these athletic departments, more than anything, comes from football. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the FCS level, Northern Iowa, North Dakota State, Illinois State, or if we're talking about the Big Ten and Iowa and Rutgers and Nebraska and everybody in between. It ultimately comes down to money. Without football, there is no check for every single Big Ten institution for $54 million. That will not be coming in. The $23 million that's generated in ticket sales for football only, that is not going to be there. And in order to pay for the scholarships, in order to pay for For the new end zone, in order to pay for everything, it ultimately comes down to football. Now, do I believe that there is going to ultimately be a 12-game schedule, that games are not going to be canceled, that there is not going to be things that happen over the course of the season? Absolutely. I think there is going to be something that is going to happen basically for every team that plays at the FBS level, and they're not going to get their full complement of games in. But to think that it is all going to go away— that they're not going to play football in some form or fashion, and maybe this thing does get pushed back. And and when I first heard the idea of spring football, I scoffed at that, thought it was idiotic and thought there was no way that that could happen. But I think ultimately it comes down to just that, the money that comes in for football and to put it together. And you know what? You're going to have this week 22 guys that aren't available to play because of COVID. That's going to be a part of an injury report, a participation report, whatever it is but they're going to have to find a way. Your quarterback room is wiped out. Sorry. Figure out the kid that played. Go Wildcat, but you're going to have to figure that out. But there will be a game in some form or fashion. That's what I come back for. It's too important to athletic departments just to stay afloat to have football here, and that's why I think we're going to see it in some form or fashion.
1: Well, I don't disagree, with Trent, but obviously football is king and money is what's pushing it, but – I think one of the things you've seen over the last month or two months is that college football players and college athletes in general are finally starting to realize just how much power they truly have. Um, you know and that's something that I've talked about for years, and I think going back to you know the kneeling issue from years ago when we first started this podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I remember one of my business beats was, you know at some point, there's going to be, a college athlete protest where they're going to refuse to take the field. And it would not shock me at all if what happens here is exactly what you said, that the NCAA basically says, come hell or high water, we're going to be playing from September, and you're going to have players that are going to say, hold on here. You haven't done anything to protect our best interests. You have no uniform plan in place. You have no guidelines in place. We're not playing until we feel comfortable going forward. And I think there's more and more likely that's what's going to happen. The NCAA is just going to blindly try to force players to do it, and the players are going to have to be the adults, and they're the ones that are going to have to come forward and say, you figure out a plan for us and we'll do it. Because I shared that article with you from the Washington Post, and in there they, they give a perfect example. You know, Notre Dame and Arkansas play each other, or are, are set to play each other in Week One. Notre Dame has taken about as uh, careful stance as they can. They're testing players weekly. They're doing a lot of preventative measures. They're making sure that you know they're limiting when people come back. They're testing everybody. They're, they're doing everything they can to keep it as a safe environment as they can. On the flip side, Arkansas is not testing anybody. Mm-hmm. Arkansas is only testing their athletes if they show symptoms, which is insane because, as I think everybody agrees, you can have COVID and be completely asymptomatic and pass it on to other people. So, you know, Notre Dame has a lot of power, and, and that article talked about, that, you know, they started some parents of, of Notre Dame students and Stanford students and other people have, have really started to push the NCAA and saying, how are you protecting our kids? And to me, that's going to be the tipping point here. And, that, and that's why maybe it's just my, my lawyer brain talking here, but unless the NCAA comes out with some uniform rules and guidelines, I I, I just don't see them playing. I just, it blows my mind. The NCAA can enforce everything. They can have rules and guidelines on recruiting rules and guidelines on, on every second of practice. Why are they not having uniform guidelines to deal with this issue? I mean, this is the biggest issue that's popped up in college sports and, and maybe our lifetime. Because I mean, I can't remember ever a time where we were ever talking about not playing football for a year. Why are they not being more proactive? I just I don't get it. Maybe they are, and they're just not telling us that. But and I, I just think at some point you're going to see a lot of players come forward and say. What are you doing to
0: protect us here? And we've seen certainly uh, throughout this time that players are understanding their power, and it it became uh, certainly a conversation piece when name, name, image, and likeness started to come to the forefront and people understanding just what the value of their name certainly is. But this goes hand in hand, and Kansas State has been going through this, and I think that's going to happen across the country. My question becomes – the NCAA, you know, the high school alliance, they have put out their set of guidelines. I do agree with you there. Where has the NCAA been? Maybe it will ultimately just come back to conferences. And that is something that's been bandied about a lot, is just conference games. I think that would make a whole lot of sense for 2020. Do it within your conference, figure it out on that aspect, and then go from there. Because though conferences are become wide-ranging and far-flung all over the place, still you can come up with something that makes more sense for your conference as opposed to what you talked about here. Now, for Notre Dame, they're going to be in trouble if if conferences say we're only going to play each other. Maybe they can get something with the ACC and their connection. But I think that's something that would make more sense and you can have something much more uniform at the conference level as opposed to the NCAA trying to have jurisdiction over everybody from Maine to Florida to Texas and all points in between. I think that would make more sense, and certainly for this season, something I think you could see happen.
1: From a purely selfish standpoint, Trent, can they just do what you and I talked about? You know, three months ago or five months ago, which is can we just play just the uh, Big Ten West opponents? Yeah. yeah. That, that way, that way, you know, Iowa football badly needs some good news, and uh, you know that schedule that we have currently is pretty brutal. So if they wanted to change it and just say, let's just play the seven Big Ten West uh, opponents uh, of six of them, I'd be all for that because uh, I'd feel a lot more optimistic about our chances of having a successful year if we could uh, tweak that schedule a little bit.
0: And you don't have to go get clubbed by Ohio State this year. Boy, the Buckeyes. They're going to be loaded in uh, that game. Scheduled in Columbus at the end of October We'll see if that one comes to pass. Yeah, I I don't think we're that far apart. And we went back and forth for a little bit. I ultimately, are we going to shut down college athletics until there's a vaccine? We still don't know. And Dr. Fauci says, hopeful that by the end of this year, early 2021, that there will be a vaccine. But ultimately, nobody really knows if that'll be the case and how effective that vaccine is going to be. See it in the professional ranks. A number of players have said, in Major League Baseball, that they're not going to be a play. And I think you're going to see that both at the collegiate level, the NFL level, you're going to see that happening all over the place. I don't think we're that far apart. It comes down to, at the college level, is this something that is going to stricken these young athletes and they're going to be in trouble and people are going to die? No, we know the numbers say that that's not going to be the case, but it's not just about them. And I understand that part of it too, Biz. We're talking about a 65-year-old football coach with Kirk Ferens. We're talking about older members of the staff. The Minnesota Twins just this week announced that two of their bench coaches will not be with the team this season because they're in their 60s, and they're keeping them away, and you're going to see more than that. It's not just about the athletes. It goes much deeper than that. I don't know. I feel like I'm talking in circles sometimes.
1: Well, I I agree with you. I don't think we're that far off. My, My... My concern, more than anything, comes with just complete lack of confidence in the NCAA to do anything the right way. That's true. I just, I just don't have any confidence that they're going to step up and create a, a good return to play plan across the board. They're, they're just kind of putting their head in the sand and letting every conference deal with it themselves, and you know that's just not going to work because you know the conferences and, and the way they handle things are just totally different, but. You know, to me, it's it really it's well, it's incredibly frustrating to me on a bigger level. Trent, is because you know, you and I talked about it a little bit before we went on the air here today, but uh, you know, I'm a big believer. I, I think we need to be trying to get back to normal in, in every way that we can. And the idea of getting back to sports is is a great idea if you can do it the right way. But you know that like baseball in Iowa is a perfect example. We were given you know, an opportunity to be kind of the, uh, the standard bearer because Iowa's, um, you know, the only state of uh, 50 that's playing uh, playing uh, high school baseball. But uh, you go to the games, you go to high school games, or especially if you go to travel baseball games, nobody's following any of the rules that are in place. So, right. I mean, even yeah. if you try to set these rules in place, nobody's listening. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, it's not that difficult. I mean, if you want these things to happen. You want to have sports in the fall and you want to have sports in the winter and you want to have nice things Then just follow the rules. I mean, quit, uh, quit trying to think that you're more important than other people. Baseball should be the easiest game in the world to social distance. Take your damn lawn chair and go sit in left field and cheer on your kid and be quiet. And the games I've went to and the ones I've seen, it's, I think the parents are more excited about sitting in the bleachers and, and chatting with uh, the other parents than they are about the game itself.
0: You've seen a ton of that, and I've been out to, oh, six games a week now for these last couple of weeks at the high school level, and I show up every time with my equipment, and I have my mask on. Went to a game the other night, and I saw one other person that had a mask and and that whole thing, and though the stands are set up for social distancing, the outfield seats are set up that way, they have it marked off for people to stay away, you know they're still intermingling, and that will continue to happen and ultimately very well could lead to another spike that is happening here, this this goes further than just the kids we're talking about, and it, it gets frustrating, no doubt. And and I still feel weird wearing a mask. I, I feel weird walking in to a high school event with a mask on and being the only person that's doing it. I went in a store just up the street here from where I work at the sporting goods store. I walked in there. There's one person working and I'm wearing a mask. And I just I felt odd. But you have to get past that. You have to get past that because that's ultimately what we're asked to do. You're not asked to do too much. You don't have to go run a marathon. You put on a mask and you're uncomfortable for 5, 10, 15 minutes or even sitting there in a game. But ultimately, that's what we need to do. I don't know why this becomes so difficult for people.
1: Well, I'm, you know, I don't think either of us are, are you know, cruised by any means or, or, you know, you know, far left you know, crazy liberals about this trend. I mean, I'm the same boat as you. I'm not a huge fan of wearing a mask. And to be honest with you, you know, I like to go run and I like to do things outside. when I do those things, I don't wear a mask. Mm-hmm. But if I go anywhere indoors, if I go just order food or if I go to Hy-Vee or anything like that, I put on my damn mask. And if I'm in an area that, you know, where I can't be, you know, social distancing someone and I have to be with people that are outside my family in a close, confined area, put on a damn mask. I mean, that's, that's. That's not asking too much, like you said. It's just... Again, like I said, if we we want nice things and we want sports to return, that seems to be the bare minimum that you you should be doing. It's just doing the basics because it seems to me a lot of people want football more so that they can tailgate than they do the actual football. So it's, you know, I don't know. I don't see things changing enough in the next two months where we're going to have college football. But, uh, again, I, ho- I hope I'm wrong. I hope we have college football and I hope things go well. But uh, I'm not overly optimistic that the NCAA will will do things right. And, and quite frankly, I'm not overly optimistic that uh, our general population will do things right enough that, that we can get the numbers Pointed in the right direction here in the next
0: month. Well, Biz, I got to give the give up the studio here in uh, just a couple of minutes. So before we get out of here, it's time for Business Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Business Beat of the day. Okay, here's Business Beat of the day. <laughs> Well,
1: Trent, business beat of the day. We need to at least have some positive to this because obviously uh, there's not a lot of positive to talk about. But uh, if and when Major League Baseball comes about, Trent, this be the Mets and Twins for the first time in a long time. I think both of them have a legitimate chance at competing in a 50 game season. So let's end on a positive, Trent. Uh, I'll just go ahead and just call it now. Uh, the Mets and Twins in the World Series in uh, October, or whenever they're going to
0: play it this year, 2020. Yeah, it might be okay. 2021 20, by the time it actually happens. But I'm excited for this no, season. That's I, I that's think gonna it's
1: going to be... It's going to be a, you know, 2090 before it actually <laughs> happens between those two teams. But, uh, damn it, Trent, I'm ending on a positive note. Mets,
0: Twins, World Series prediction right there. I'm Yeah, Sign me up for that. In fact, I just got some odds that were released. One of the offshore accounts, but has the matchups for World Series, and I think the Mets twins, I looked at that one, I think it's 150-1, to so we can make a little money on this on top of it.
1: There you go. Let's uh, let's let it ride, Sean. Is there odds on there? uh, Can you bet whether there's actually going going to be a World Series?
0: I, I saw something like that at one of the offshores, and it was, will the season play to completion in 2020? And I think it was like plus 150 on the... On the no, minus 130, on the yes, something like that. It was certainly much tighter odds than you normally anticipate, but that's the world that we live in. Biz, I like the positivity. I like getting out on a good note. I'm excited for this baseball season. I'm excited to hopefully get college football. We'll see, and uh, we'll see if we're together there in the beginning of se- September in Kinnick Stadium with you and I in Iowa to kick things off. We'll talk a, a little bit more, I'm sure, before we get to one, that point.
1: One last thing, Trent, I believe... Our next time we get together, I believe our, our friend Stat Boy, and, you know, I think we're required by a uh, contractually required to mention Stat Boy. He, yes. Yeah. We almost went to full uh, podcast without mentioning so, Apologies to Stat Boy, but uh, I believe he has a summer quiz ready for us again. So uh, let, let's let's change gears and go all positive with a uh, an upbeat Hawkeye Summer quiz, uh, courtesy of Stat Boy uh, next month. How's that sound?
0: I like it. We will do it then. Thanks to everybody out there for listening in the Degenerate Hawkeyes Podcast.